Amen. Yeah, thanks, Tim. Good prayer. Um, yeah, well, uh, you probably wanted to avoid this phrase, but it is coming home. We, we just, <laughs> we've got to say it, um, and I'm as excited as anybody about what's going on tonight. Uh, but for the people of God, for the family of God, if you call yourself a Christian, a follower of Jesus, uh, I need to remind you that England is not home, uh, let alone Wembley, by the way. Um, heaven is home. Heaven is home. And um, whilst we pray and hope that there'll be a little slice of heaven in Wembley tonight, uh, our focus is, uh, for the moment, somewhere else. Um, but it did strike me, particularly as somebody was there on Wednesday night, a friend of mine was there, had lucky enough to have tickets, sent me a little video, uh, that it is a place of worship. There's no doubt about that. Wembley is a place of worship tonight. We, we, I'm not saying anything controversial by that, because we all worship something or someone, right? Everybody does. If that's about giving uh, your attention, your devotion, uh, cheering on, uh, maybe even moving your body, maybe singing, gathered together in a place. Wembley is a place, a, a place of worship. Um, which is kind of fitting, given where we're at tonight, because I've been asked to speak from a passage in the Bible, Luke chapter 7. I regret, friends, I don't have a, uh, had a technological breakdown t- uh, today. My machine is not doing um, what it's supposed to, and so there's no slides. But if you have got a device, it'd be great to find Luke chapter 7, verse 36, because from one venue of international uh, attention and worship in a big city in London and all the rest of it tonight, to a strange little dinner party in a very small village in a backwater of the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago, another venue of worship, uh, and felt the Lord very much direct us to that as, as the focus for what we're going to um, consider for the next few minutes. David said, keep it strong and short, Tim, so I'll do my best, um, but God really wants to speak to us. I know that he always does, actually. The question is whether we're listening. So uh, here is Luke chapter 7, 36 to verse 50, I think. We need to just kind of get, get the whole story. So imagine yourselves there. Father, would you speak to us as we read your word, as we take it in? Lord, speak to us, we pray. Trusting for that. So when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house. He reclined at the table, because that's what they did. They kind of did the whole reclining thing. And a woman in the town who'd lived a sinful life, Um, in this version of the Bible, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped his feet with her hair, kissed his feet, and poured perfume on them. Imagination's working over time, right? When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him or what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. He hadn't figured on Jesus knowing what he was thinking. Prophetic insight from the Holy Spirit. Jesus answered, Simon, I've got something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, said Jesus. And then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time that I entered hasn't stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. So I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever's been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven, woman. 
The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It's beautiful, isn't it? If you were standing here and you on the spot, on the spot needed to, to give a little message to somebody, what would you pick from that? What's, what, what drew your attention? What's God speaking to you about? Capture that because it may be much more important than anything I feel that I have to say. But I've, I felt the Lord direct out of the many things that are going on in that amazing little event to focus on this thing of worship, authentic worship, worshipping. What is it? This is clearly an act of worship amongst uh, other things that it is. It's recorded. Um, this version, by the way, is probably a separate incident in Luke to the ones recorded elsewhere. Matthew and Mark carry a similar instant. John as well. There's some debate as to which ones are which, but the, the sense is that this is separate but similar to others. Uh, and so I've just got a few headlines for us to notice, and, and I will be quite rapid, and they are headlines, so they're worth digging into later. First is this. Worship, is, worship as a first response. Worship as a first response. We have this funny idea, don't we, that we tend to initiate things. We, we kind of do, we have the ideas and we do something. Friends, we need to remember that God always takes the initiative first. We love, why? Because the Bible says he first loved us. We follow Jesus if we do. Why? Because he first called us and saved us. We have life itself because why? He saved us, brought us into relationship with him and put his spirit, the breath of God into us, which is the only way that human beings have life in the way that he designed it. He did it first. We worship. Why? Because he's revealed himself in the measure that he has to us, in the measure that we've received and taken on board. He's shown us who he is supremely in Jesus, communicates through his word, but in all sorts of other ways as well. So this woman uh, who is known in the village as uh, what Hills this morning described as probably a bad girl, the kind of girl who get cancelled in our culture. You know, she's kind of beyond the pale. We don't associate with her, that kind of person. She's had a, some sort of background that has attracted this label. She's a sinful woman. We don't know too many uh, things about her, really. But there's something in her spirit, isn't there, that recognizes something about Jesus, that he is more than just a teacher. He's more than a wandering rabbi. He's more than even just a good man. Maybe she's learned of the miracles. Maybe she's seen something of the power. But there is something so deeply attractive that invites her by way of response to gatecrash this party where she's not really welcome with people who don't really like her and to go through all of this by way of response to this man who she just knows accepts her. And even more than that, comes to forgive her, pronounce forgiveness over her. She, what she does is only appropriate for uh, to honor God himself, to only honor the, the king of kings who responds in this act of worship. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Only God can do that. He says, you're saved. Well, only God can do that. He did it for her. Friends, 2,000 years later, let's not miss. We've sung it, we've celebrated, we've worshiped tonight. He's done it for us. He's done it for us. He's done it for us. Let's not put her in some different separate category. We're so good at doing that, aren't we? Reading these stories. By the way, when you read the story, in whose shoes did you put yourself? I always find that's an interesting way of just, oh, gosh, I found myself siding with you know, this person or that person. Maybe you didn't put yourself in any shoes. Ask God about that. If you, were with, if you, if you identified with the woman in some respect, ask God why. If you identify with Simon the Pharisee, ask him why. He'll reveal stuff about that. It's very important the way that when we read scripture like that. But we're, we're in the place of the woman. He's done it for us. He's set us free. He holds out forgiveness, peace, new life, new destiny, new purpose, all of that for us. And we respond. In worshiping, we're setting our affection back on him, the one who's taken initiative. Freely, you have received, says the scripture. Freely, you've received. We couldn't earn it. We couldn't buy it. 
She's so aware of that. She knows that. God never sells anything. Do you know that? He never sells anything. No point trying to buy it then, is there? No point trying to earn it. She knew that. Freely you've received. What's the next bit of the verse? Freely give. It's a response. Worship is always, always response, isn't it? He's given us the thing that is, God has given us the gift that is the most precious of all, of course, the life of his son. So here is top priority. If we, if we just need a reminder, here is top, top priority. Jesus says it elsewhere. Worship the Lord your God. Serve him only. God first. No other idols. We don't like that word very much, idols. Um, there'll be a lot of idol worship going on in Wembley. I don't say that in judgment. It's just true because we have idols. Sport is a big idol in our culture. For many there, it'll be the England team. It'll be soccer or it'll be success. Or for us, it'll be jobs or career or bank account or body image or whatever, whatever, whatever. So easily they become idols. No idols. God first. And worship is our prime response. Second, worship as a verb. Worship as a verb will be my title of this. I don't want to labor this too much. Worship is this rich and uh, amazing kind of concept and word and dictionary is all very well, but I don't think it quite fits into dictionary definitions easily, does it? But just let me remind us that for some people, rightly, we go, worship is this really broad thing. It's a way of life. Um, Romans 12 talks about uh, sacrifice, but you know, don't, don't be conformed to this world, um, but uh, be, be conf- I can't even quote the verse now, but be, conform- be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is pleasing. This is your act of worship to God. So, so, so worship in, in that broad sense, some people might say, well, it's kind of everything that I do for God. You know, it's my acts of service, it's the way that I work, it's the way that I love my friends, it's helping old ladies across the street, it's, you know, everything's worship kind of thing. Well, Kind of, uh, there is a, a thought to that, and th- because by contrast, there, there might be a narrow definition of worship which says, well, it's definitely something that happens in a building with good lighting, preferably quite nice coffee, always a guitar and drums, and we sing songs together of, of the sort that I like. That's worship. Well, I think we're wise enough to know, well, that's a pretty narrow definition of worship. And the truth is that worship starts in the heart, right? Worship starts here. And then there's an outward expression of that. It starts with an attitude and it emerges as an action. And in that sense, friends, I just need to remind us that not only is it a verb, because it does express itself, uh, we need to be a little bit careful about how we describe worship, which is my, my little tip to us is use worship as a verb and not as a noun. I used to be hypersensitive to this. I've got over myself. But whenever a sentence started, the worship was dot, 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 fill in the blank, you know, amazing, or the worship was fantastic, or I didn't like the worship, or whatever. I'm a bit sensitive to that, because if worship actually is, is an affair of the heart, I'm not sure, I, I think God is the only person who can judge our worship, right? I'm not sure that we can. Otherwise, it risks sounding a bit like the cinema. Yeah, the, the film was amazing. The ice cream was amazing. The worship was amazing. How do you know? How do I know? It's a bit of an ouch, though. It's a bit, a bit challenging. The whole passage is challenging. Um, but let's just get that. Worship is a verb. So I, I get that when we say the worship was amazing, we, we, we're saying shorthand for, I really enjoyed worshiping God tonight. And that's great because he loves that we enjoy that. But the idea that we can complete the sentence, the worship was, no, it's, it, it's, it's an, in our hearts. So we might have sung tonight. Doesn't necessarily mean that we worshiped. You might know whether you've worshiped God tonight or whether you just sung songs. Uh, but we're not to judge one another on that, but we are to allow the Lord to shine his light on it. But worship is a, as a verb. There's an expression. That the, it's not just an abstract kind of a thing, is it? There's, a, there's, a, there's an outworking to this. And here in this uh, incredible story, we see the outworking of this um, woman's 
attitude of worship, her worshipfulness, this incredible expression. So what about the expression? Number three, it was extravagant, really extravagant offering. I mean, you, you've imagined it, right? And I know the cult, there's some cultural differences going on here, and some of the things there were a little bit more culturally appropriate than, than they would be in our culture. Nonetheless, let's get the extravagance of this. I mean, she, it's pretty full on, isn't it, what she's doing here? It may be a familiar story. We might miss it. Even the alabaster jar, they say, the scholars say, for sure this is, this is a serious amount of, of expensive perfume. In the similar accounts, which might be separate accounts, we're told that there's a, there's a lot here and it's worth such and such an amount of money. There's an extravagance going on. It's really full on. It's not some cheap riff-off action here. Completely intentional. When she left home that evening, it wasn't an accident that that's what she picked up. It wasn't an accident that she arrived where she did. It wasn't an accident. This is something she intended to do. She effectively said, if I can read between the lines, what is the best that I can offer? What is the most extravagant, generous outpouring that, I can, that I'm capable of giving in response to the God who's given and is giving his love and his grace and his affection to me in a way that I've never known anybody do that in this way that maybe she couldn't totally understand, but it resulted in this act of worship. So uh, it's extravagant and it's not pretend and it's not, well, how much can I get away with and still call it worship kind of thing? No, none of that. A wholehearted worship, my goodness. Wow. In fact, um, just reminded me, Fee was just praying before we began. She was talking about uh, God's, God wants to communicate more, more of a completeness of his love. What a beautiful thing. Let's pray that that would happen before we leave tonight. More, we'll grasp a greater sense of his love. Well, by response, well, a greater proportion of our heart <laughs> goes back to God in worship. Amen. I don't just mean in, in here, but you know, in the way that we are and live. By the way, let's notice that Jesus really loves it. He really welcomes this. He really welcomes it. That's, we can't miss that. It's not my main point. But he welcomes the extravagance. Simon and the others, they don't want her there. But Jesus is really pleased. And her tears fall on his feet. Does he move the feet? No. And we gather from what he says later. They're there for quite a long time. She's crying for quite a long time. He, she hasn't stopped crying. He's kept his feet there. So he welcomes it, right? He doesn't, it's not, he's not embarrassed. It's not a problem. He welcomes it. He embraces it. He allows her to honor, uh, he allows her to honor him in, in that particular way. He empties, she, she empties the perfume. He doesn't, get, he doesn't stop her. He doesn't say that's enough. He allows it to happen. He welcomes it. In a different version of the story, Mark says, Jesus says, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. Friends, we also just need to realize, again in brackets, when, we, when we're worshiping, and this is about, um, I don't want to get sidetracked here, but it's an incredible privilege to be ministering to God in this way. He is truly blessed by our worship. He loves it. He welcomes it. What a privilege. What an extraordinary privilege we have to bless God by the way that we honor and, and worship him. The Father is looking actually for worshipers. Yes, he's looking for servants and for uh, workers in the, the mission field and for faithful ones who will live out his will. But all of that actually flows and starts from that inner place of connectedness to him, honoring who he is in worship. Two more, quite quick. Worship that costs us. Fairly obvious here. This really costs, didn't it? I mean, in monetary terms, if, if it's right that the alabaster jar is the same kind of, that was used in the other story, mon just sheer monetary value, they say it's a year's wages. What's that average wage? I looked it up. It's 29 grand in this country. I wish. Uh, let's, let's call it 20. Um, but whatever it is, it's blown in a moment. 20 grand. Can't be used again by, you know, half, half a mile down the road, the perfume's gone. 
What a waste. In fact, Judah says that in the other passage. What a waste. Really costly. She's taken the most expensive thing probably in her, in her home. It's costly in other ways too though, isn't it? Really costly potentially in the way that people are going to speak about her and she's not welcome there and they're muttering and she knows that but she's still run the gauntlet. She's probably gate crashed the party. It's hard to imagine that she was invited. There's a lot of opposition coming her way. What does this tell us about authentic worship? It tells us that there will be moments and times, won't there, when we love it and when it's the most natural and obvious thing that we want to do. Praise God for those moments. How wonderful when our, our hearts and our emotions are aligned with the sense of wanting to worship God, whether that's in song, in a gathered environment like this, or in any other way. But friends, the costly worship, I, I'm going to say, is an even more fragrant smell in the nostrils of God. Because it comes from a place of sacrifice. It's interesting to me uh, that... Um, in 1 Chronicles, I think it is 2 Chronicles, where David is wanting to build a place of worship for God. Uh, it ends up being built on the threshing floor of, is it Arunia? I forget his name. And do you, know, do you know that, remember that story where he goes and the guy says, oh, you're David, you can have it for free. And David says, no, I will not sacrifice something which costs me nothing. He's determined and he makes sure that he pays for it. Why? Because the presence of God and the sacrifice of our worship are intrinsically linked. There's something about costly worship, the, wor- the kind of worship that comes from a place of difficulty, a place of choice, a place of you know, pain even, a place of suffering, a place of I'm not sure I really want to engage with this, which is about choice and will more than it's about I feel like doing this. That is fragrant in the nostrils of God. My goodness, this woman offered a sacrifice of praise, didn't she? A sacrifice of worship, something that really cost her. Love to know the rest of the story, wouldn't you? Absolutely love to. One day we will. We can ask all these characters in heaven, how was it? What happened next? Tell us the, tell us the story, all these questions that we've got. But I absolutely love that. But let's just get, this will always be opposed. Whether it's a Judas saying, what a waste, why are you bothering? Whether it's a Simon saying, really? You? You know, what's... You don't belong, you shouldn't be doing that. The world, the flesh and the devil conspire, don't they, to oppose this. I don't think you need me to point this out. You know know this for yourself. What is it that, that you find a resistance factor to giving your whole heart to the Lord in worship? Is that potentially a, a wider world that goes, you weirdos, you weird Jesus freaks, what are you about? You're so irrelevant and we carry on singing your la la land in fairyland. But you know, is it that? Is that the resistance factor, what people might say, think, etc.? Is it the flesh? Is it just, I can't be bothered? Actually, I prefer to watch the telly. I prefer to doodle away on my phone. I prefer to do this, that, or the other. I just, it's just too much work. I can't be bothered. It's the flesh, isn't it? It's just, it rises up. We know that. Paul says there's this battle going on, flesh-spirit battle. Is that where the resistance is? Is it the devil whispering, why are you worshiping me anyway? Are you sure he's there? Does he exist? Is he good? Is he worth it? Or somebody says it's a waste. Why do they say that? Why do they say it's a waste? A waste is a, is a transactional term. You, you, you're spending all of that, but what are you getting in return? That's what waste means, isn't it, if you think about it? As if worship is some transactional thing, where as long as we do that bit, then God will do that bit. Well, hear me carefully. We do benefit from worship. That's another talk. We do benefit from worship. (laughs) We really do in all kinds of ways as our heart gets drawn closer to the Father's. But if we see it as a transactional thing, I'll sing the five songs really great and I'll pray and I'll open my Bible and then God will do X, Y, Z. We've missed the point. And we're certainly not doing what this woman did. 
the religious mindset will always say, tone it down. Don't bother so much. Don't be so wholehearted. Take it easy. Fit in. By the way, extravagance. I mean, Wembley's going to be pretty extravagant tonight, isn't it? Don't you think? I think there's going to be quite a lot of extravagance on display. It might not feel... I mean, it will cost them a packet in terms of money to get there, but in terms of the waving around and the ripping off shirts when we score and you know, displaying beer bellies and all those attractive things that go with football crowds, there'll be a lot of extravagance going on. There's something physical about that. Actually, there's something physical about worship too. And I know I'm talking in the context of, of sung worship maybe, but there is something. Every expression of for worship in the Bible is, 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 a, is a physical one. It's a bodily one. Back to the expression. There's, a, there's an outworking of this. And I know we can be a bit British and all the rest of it, and cultures are different. So it's not that there's any extra bonus points in heaven for you know, putting your hands up or, or jiggling your body. But friends, this is the Lord of Lords. This is the King of Kings. Would we not expect for some of the outworking of our affection for him to show in the way that we are, show on our faces or, or whatever, whether we're alone in our bedroom or with one or two in life group or, or in here or, or wherever? Extravagant worship costs. Shall I give to God that which costs nothing? Reflect on what it's costing us maybe. Through tears, through pain, through valleys. Choose worship when your relationships get broken. Choose worship when you lose a job. Choose worship when your finances are under strain. Keep choosing worship when your health is bad. Choose worship when your work is boring. Choose worship when you, you feel low and empty. Choose worship. And it's intimate. Really intimate. Awkward, probably. I mean, maybe less awkward in that culture, but still, I think, pretty awkward. There are strong indications of that. There's an intimacy going on. I don't know how you sit with that word. Don't want to be sort of sexist or stereotypical here. Some blokes have a bit of a problem. I do sometimes with that word intimacy. But, you know, I'm married to Hills. And just because we've got rings around our fingers that say we did something 30 years ago and we made some vows and we made some promises and we shared the same home and washing up bowl and bed and stuff for 31 years, that's not quite enough, is it? That The status, the reality of that needs, to, needs expression. Connection, relationship, intimacy is formed as we do things together, as we express that physically, emotionally, spiritually, so on. As you know, flowers, chocolate, draining my bank account. Because it needs expression. And there's an intimacy about that, and there's a beautiful intimacy about this. Gosh, it doesn't get much more intimate than hairs, perfume, feet, tears, kisses. Beautiful. Jesus says, beautiful, beautiful. Intimate. Worship as a response, God first. Worship as a verb, heart attitude expressed in action. Worship as an extravagant offering, not just a half-hearted one. Worship as a costly offering, not one which is just for when the sun is shining. Worship as an act that invites intimacy. I don't think I've said anything that you probably don't know, haven't heard before in, in, in better and more eloquent ways. But I just think that God is calling us back to this. I just think, if, if I'm true of some of us, we can lose our way. God's been really speaking to me actually about this in the last month or two. It's not been the most straightforward of seasons for me without divulging too much. But one of the things that God has been saying, keep worshipping to him, keep worshipping. And I don't just mean keep putting a worship song on. <laughs> Again, that's lovely. I commend it. Not quite the same as worshipping, right? Keep worshipping. Keep worshipping. Through thick and thin, keep worshipping. Why? Because it's the most fundamental heart, heart posture. Whatever emotions come or don't come with it that connect us to the God. Top priority. And God is pulling us back to that, to the heart of worship where it's all about him. 
focus. It's all about him. For this woman, there was nobody else in the room. It was all about him. Let's stand.